as a Canadian, this is this is this is where I wanted to be, man. And to have uh, impact at this big of a stage, to have a game winning, I, I envisioned this as a young kid, and just to do it on this big of a stage is crazy. That's right. Welcome to the Waggle, where we acknowledge and celebrate not only what was an outstanding Grey Cup week, an outstanding Grey Cup game, but what was and is an outstanding team worthy of being Grey Cup champions. The Montreal Alouettes are your 2023 Grey Cup champions. They beat the team with the best regular season record in the league, one of the best ever. They beat the best team of a generation, trying to be a dynasty. And now for the first time, 13 years, they're going to have a parade in La Belle Provence in Montreal. They might have two parades. Because the Caravan looked pretty good at the U Sports level. But we're going to keep it pro today. Your initial reactions to the Alouettes making Darnell Sankey Sound like a prophet. A prophet. The prophet of all prophets. I mean, and, and you got to commend him for his boldness, his courage, his enthusiasm throughout the second half of the season and, and following through on what he said. And he did everything that he could, everything that he needed to do um, to make that defense what it became and ultimate, ultimately, you know, allow him to win a great cup. But did we all see this? It, it, it safe to say that it, it shocked everybody. It, it, am I right in saying that? Am I wrong for saying that? It shocked everybody except for the, the guys in the locker room. The guys in the locker room. As they should be. And it, although I, I'll say this, uh, CFL.ca, when you look at the picks among the writers, it was 50-50. It was split. Uh, in terms of television, on-air analysts, the only person I saw pick Montreal was former host of this very podcast, Dave Sanchez. Mm. I will say, he's a former Alouette, right? If 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 he was being honored by a team <laughs> or in CFL, if they're creating a, a Chessy bust, it would have an Alouette logo beside it. So when I saw him pick the Alouette, you I'm think like, it was an emotional pick? I think he wants to be loved in that city. <laughs> I think when he's on St. Catherine Street, he doesn't want any problems. Let's go to the fans. Do you think how much of the fans in Montreal? And we played a couple of games there that this year, DB. And and I'm just gonna be honest. McGill Stadium was not as full as I've seen it in the past. It really wasn't. And so when I say shocked, I think it's the majority of all of us. Um, including some of the fans as well. But I will say this. I walked on the field right when they won the Great Cup, and uh, it, it was absolutely amazing to see. Really extremely happy for that team, for what they had to go through to get to where they got to. I mean, we'll talk about it more in depth, but the way that they went about what they did. And, and I was walking around and I was saying, I cannot believe it. I mean, a lot of my guys are on that team, Mondo, and we had conversations prior to the game and after the game. And, um, you know, obviously the Laminator. Uh, we talked to Sankey. Um, you know, Avery Williams, a lot of the guys on that team I talked to prior to and after. And, and you know, some were like, man, you know what? We're going to put our best foot forward and, and we're going to go out there and do what we need to do. And... Uh, after the game, this is all I was saying. I was saying, guys, look, I don't know how you guys did it, but you made it happen. I don't know how you guys – and one of the guys, it's almost like they took it offensively. I'm like, hey, look, this is the reality of how I'm feeling, and I'm happy for you guys. Everyone in particular, he stopped because I said it twice to him. I said, you guys did that thing. And he said, Enoch, you can't say that. You're one of us. You're one of us. And it took me a couple of seconds to re realize what he was saying, but he was basically saying, the Argonauts were also underdogs last year, Enoch. They were underdogs. and um, But we believed in our locker room. And so it was just exciting to see those guys celebrate after having the season that they had. And uh, a lot of people, if not all, writing them off. So we will go in-depth on the game. But let's go in chronological order to make sure that I don't forget anything. Let's start with the week at large. The atmosphere in around Hamilton. The convention center was bumping. Team parties. You know, throughout the week, James Street was bumping throughout 
the festival bowl was outstanding. I caught up with you at the CFL PA party at the Gown and Gavel. It's real cool for me to have a reminder of, if I had to describe this league by one word, I think it would be grateful or gratitude. The players there interacting uh, with the fans really appreciative of the fans and the respect of their craft and the fans just loving that they can have access to the players and loving that the game is being celebrated on such a big stage and that they can interact with other fans whether it's from their market or from markets across the board it's almost like a high school reunion or a family reunion where you could see throughout the city throughout the events there are those CFL diehards, those lifers that come to Great Cup Week every year, and they dap it up and meet people. And and, and I've even heard some stories about love that was found, you know, <laughs> at, at at Great Cup Week around the Great Cup. Maybe we'll call it you know Great Cup and chill, but that's the motivation for you to get to BC next year. But what was the atmosphere like for you? Because you were all over the place on TV, at activations, corporate parties, volunteering with the young kids, obviously your PA duties. What was it like for you to experience a different Great Cup week than the one you had last year, obviously, but a big one nonetheless? I mean, it, it was eventful, DB. It was eventful, but more than anything, it was um, absolutely uh, fantastic to be amongst um, the fans. I mean, we, we, we talk about this and and, and, and and I, I, a lot, but we we should always mention the fact that this league is not what it is without the fans. And um, it was, like I said, absolutely um, amazing to spend some time with fans and uh, whether it was the Great Cup parties and uh, the headquarters with the CFLPA, I mean, running a football camp for the kids out there in Hamilton. And I spent some time with, uh, you know, athletes in action and doing some outreach and, you know, in the prisons and the schools and, and some of the churches that were local. Um, it was amazing to, uh, uh, to be with fans. And I even met a fan that literally came, uh, he said, from Seattle. And he said, I watch the Grey Cup every year. As a matter of fact, I travel to the Grey Cup every year. I said, okay, what, what are the origins? How did, he's like, I just fell in love with, with, with the CFL. And, and it was just mind-blowing to me and, and great conversations throughout the whole, the course of the whole week. And um, you know what? I'll say this again. The game did not disappoint. So it was an amazing exclamation mark to uh, an awesome week was really outstanding shout out to one all the volunteers that work and sacrifice to make it happen shout out to the organizing committee and the city of hamilton and the tiger cats for putting on a great party but shout out to the entire region uh, yes. we had events not only in hamilton but in niagara niagara falls the awards were outstanding at the beautiful avalon theater you know many players were staying and doing things in burlington so it was a real win for the entire region bc you're up next I cannot wait. Well, I cannot wait to get to the West Coast, number one. But I cannot wait to see what the Lions and Omar Doman do to take the game to another level because at BC, they're taking everything to another level right now with that ownership group. So that should be fun and outstanding. And also, the other kudos I want to give is, I know this happens to you to a certain extent because – if you're a CFL fan, you interact with you differently. You either played for their favorite team at a certain point uh, or, or, you know, they, they've seen you on TSN broadcast. But for me, many people are coming up to me saying how much they appreciate this very platform, this podcast, how often they listen, mm -hmm. and it, how much they appreciate the conversation. And so we just want to say we appreciate you because without the fans, you don't get a beautiful event like the Grey Cup game in Pre-game, you were busy. You were you were driving. You were styling. Ooh, yeah, that was that was a neat experience itself, right there. I mean, coming in and bringing in the Great Cup, kind of passing it along to the to the next leader or the next winners of the Great Cup was a neat experience, and uh, especially the uh, the partnership with Land Rover and uh, bringing in the Great Cup in the Defender uh, was a unique experience. Driving on there with my man Sam from uh, Land Rover was an awesome experience. Like I mentioned, we had the great cup and we delivered it to the Mounties and uh, who took care of it until 
it was time to hand it over to the right people. You're up for any challenge that comes your way. The Defender 110 is two. The iconic vehicle has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability, as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in, featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everybody, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. I got a big family, so maybe that one. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. Pack up and go further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRover.ca. So once the cup gets to the field and via the Defender, then it's time to place the ball. And I think it is appropriate that it was brought by a Defender because I think defense... Won it. When you look at this Montreal Alouettes defense, led by Noel Thorpe, they held Matthew Schiltz, Bowling by Mitchell, Chad Kelly, and Zach Caleros to a combined stat line of 632 passing yards, one touchdown, and seven interceptions in three games on their way to lifting the Grey Cup. To me, we're going to talk about the offensive plays that happened to seal it, but this defense won the Grey Cup, fair? Absolutely won him the Great Cup. I mean, it, the defense brought him to the Great Cup and finished the job as well. So to me, um, if they didn't have the defense that they had, if it weren't as aggressive and if, if they weren't um, as confident and really as consistent, um, because even when you felt like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were trying to slip away, it was a defense standing up and making plays um, literally – every single quarter and every single minute of this whole game. And so um, this team has the defense to uh, to applaud when it comes to the recognition that they need. So I'm not going to lie. I thought the game was over. They're down 10 nothing early. I think, all right, it's a wrap. Then they battle back, stand back, big touchdown, changes the momentum. You see the belief. Then they get stuffed going into halftime. Could have got points, didn't. Didn't get a, a major or a score period. I'm like, you missed an opportunity to wrap. But each time they continued to come back and come back and give themselves an opportunity at the end of the game. And this is, remember, an Alouette team, when we're talking about defense, had literally no success against Winnipeg's defense in the regular season. They didn't score against them in the regular season. But Cody Fajardo, when he had to make big plays in the passing game, was able to do it. Gets his first win over Zach Kalaros, but the defense won it. But offensively, Cody Fajardo won it with his arm. Absolutely, especially after Stanback got hurt. That's right. That's right. He he won it with his arm, and and more than anything, I think we sat here, we talked about, and and, and Marsh mentioned even how. Um, important it would be for Cordy Fajardo to have a better game. I think before after, after his first game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, we talked about. I think he had a, about 212 yards uh, passing, and 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 then he played against the uh, the Toronto Argonauts, and he had 175 yards. And we sat here and we talked about how he needed to up his game if they wanted to win that that that, that game. We're not taking anything away from defense because they won that game because of defense, but Cody Fajardo and that Montreal offense stepped their game up and they improved, and that made the difference in that game. I, DB, I have to talk about that moment. It, it, I mean, it was a big hit, but I thought I thought it really set the tone and and it brought a lot of life and energy into the game at one point where um, it was Lalu Guac when he hit Brady Oliveira. I mean, I th- it was electrifying. I was on the sideline at that point, and, and you could just feel like the momentum was just shifting and the belief was only increasing. And uh, I think there were pivotal plays in that game that completely uh, energized the Montreal Alouettes, and that was one of them. And um, uh, it was amazing to see the confidence that was shown by that defense from the beginning of the game all the way until the end. Everyone's going to remember the throws Fajardo made 
he made some key gains with his legs. Yes. Yeah, ooh, backed up in their own territory, needed to give them a, a shot for, for second and manageable, third and manageable. His ability to scramble uh, was massive. So you look at him in the playoffs this year on this run that he's gone on. Everyone said, ah, oh, during the regular season, led the league in completion percentage, but how often are you even throwing at or beyond the sticks? Dink and Dunk, he's all right, but he's not real. In the playoffs, he was real. 3-0, obviously. Complete 73% of his balls for 225 passing yards per game. Six TDs, three INTs. Again, against the Tiger Cat defense, Uragonaut defense, and the Blue Bombers defense. He played lights out. But I think the other thing for me was, I mean, you can't throw it to yourself. Ask Patrick Mahomes this morning. <laughs> you need some help at the receiver position. This is a team... Our biggest question going into the year was, who will they have at the receiver position? Geno Lewis, arguably the best in the game. Gone. Winicky, one of the best complimentary receivers in the game. Gone. But Austin Max steps up. Seven targets, six receptions. Tyson Philpott, young Canadian. Young Canadian. Eight targets, six receptions. And then your boy Cole comes through. And not, not, Cole, not Cole from from the show Martin. Cole put it in work, three targets, three receptions, one of the biggest catches down the sideline. Every time he needed a play, when Winnipeg was clear, like, we don't believe you. We'll, we'll, we'll go zero. We'll go one. We'll cover you man-to-man. No, you won't. They made plays in the passing game when it was man-to-man coverage. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he had his guys on offense truly believing, and they were going out there and making plays, tough catches um, over the middle, uh, tough slant routes, uh, hot routes, because of, like you mentioned, the pressure that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were applying. And um, these guys were just making plays for Cody, for their quarterback. And it was it was just amazing to see. When he needed to, you talk about his legs, but sometimes it wasn't even just the running itself, just to buy an extra second after the pressure was being applied by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think those are key things that help uh, offenses be successful over defenses that bring a lot of pressure. And he did just that. Sometimes it's just a couple of steps, stepping away from the uh, the open blitzer or the extra blitzer. And he did that just enough times to uh, to make the plays that needed to be made at crucial times. No play more crucial than the throw Tyson Philpott. Man, get him in the end zone. We talked to him on the waggle, and we asked him, listen, when you win the cup, your phone's going to blow up. Now, we didn't know he was going to have the game-winning score. His phone was <laughs> really going to blow up. And be the MOC. And be the MOC. But he said what he was going to say to his bro was up one. Well, <laughs> he said up one for sure. Uh, man, like, I, to me, what was great about this great cup week was Brady Oliveira wins most outstanding Canadian. What does he say to us afterwards? This was the award I wanted. He's a Canadian kid growing up. This is important. A local guy. Another Canadian, Tyson Philpott, who's seen his dad at this level. What does he say after he wins? This is what I dreamed of. This is what I worked for. And so I, I think there's a narrative sometimes that Canadian kids don't aspire to play in this league. We saw on the biggest stage that's not the case. Seeing him with his bro and his pops and his mom and his entire family after was beautiful for me. I'm I'm old, so when when sons start doing stuff, I start to think of my family and what I would feel like watching them and if my heart could take it. But as someone who has won MOC, what was it like for you to see Phil Paul winning? Man, it, it was it was absolutely amazing to see him do that. Um, again, him talking, having the confidence pregame and 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 visualizing and and and, and just anticipating you know, winning the cup. And it's always tough to kind of prepare for, you know, that award because uh, I was on record I was also as saying, man, I just wanted to win a great cup. You'll be a part of a winning team. And uh, then when that comes, it's just um, so overwhelming. And uh, for him to be able to say, hey, I'm up one, bro. And uh, bro, and here I am, dad. But also, uh, did you get to do this, dad? You know, <laughs> I, I got this too. So it was awesome to see, man. But uh, I mean, I remember seeing, Phil Pot, Tyson Phil Pot, at the combine, man. He's just a guy that seems like he's got his head on his shoulders. He's a guy that's willing to work. 
Um, he had to go through some adversity injuries early on in his career already. And uh, to see him fight back and, uh, you know, come back and be such an important player for this team and come clutch at the most important time and not make a mistake. Uh, you know, at the end of the game there, it was a tough catch. I remember when I saw when I saw the ball thrown, I was like, did he catch it? Was it intercepted? Is it incomplete? He gets up and raises his hands, and referees raise their hands as well to see, to symbolize that it was a touchdown. I mean, it was just uh, just a happy moment for the Phil Pops. Uh, and here's the other thing, right? Uh, we talk about family. We talk about football bringing people together. It was such a joy to see that whole family come together i mean um his brother was in the stands he didn't have to be there and then it's it's extremely painful to just be out there and watch a game that you feel like you need to be in you feel like you should be in and and you're not but obviously family is is, is one of those bonds that you know can make you see and, and uh way beyond the things that that hurt you and as soon as the montreal alouettes won he was celebrating like he was an alouette ran on the field because he was genuinely happy for his brother um even before it was announced that he was the moc so it was it was awesome to see him uh there to be there and support his brother as well so i mean it just overwhelming only thing i needed in that celebration i didn't get was phil pot to say ring me <laughs> ring me just give me that so we talk about family and i think that's the other takeaway for me in terms of the post-game celebrations was the family is twofold. And we see a young guy at the beginning of his career with his family, but you see some of the older guys with their family. You saw Cody Fajardo pull a Enoch Wamba and have his kid on stage with him, young little Luca, who it's funny, you know, in and around the time that Luca was coming into this world was a hard time for his dad professionally. Mm -hmm. And now for him to be on that stage holding him it's just a beautiful symmetry of how, you know, um, you sometimes have to wait for God's time for when you're going to get your flowers. But the other thing is, you know, sometimes you don't want to wait. Whether it was Cody Fajardo, Austin Mack, how many Alouettes looked into a camera and said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my wife right. who told me to continue to play, who told me to continue to believe. So that aspect was a uniform thing I heard from the Alouettes as they were celebrating. For sure, there's a narrative, whether it's Fajardo or Moss or Sankey or Lemon of, you know, uh, they wrote me off and I didn't write back. Like, they, all of them can kind of say, you know, back then they didn't want me, now I'm hot, they're all on me. But it was hearing the depth of, okay, well, who pushed you to be on that stage and continue to fight was cool. Um, that, that's, that stuck out to me. No, absolutely. I mean, family football... Football is one of those sports, man. It's 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 so easy to always point out at the people play and um, you know the sacrifices that we um, we have to go through and uh, uh, and just you know applaud, which I think it, those guys deserved it. You know when you win a championship, you deserve it. But um, it's 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 absolutely true that we don't make it to the top. We don't, you know, uh, reach the level of success that we do when we become champions without the support and the love of our significant others, of our family members, of our close friends. Yes, um, the whole team is a family and we, you know, we bleed and we sacrifice for one another throughout the course of the season, starting with training camp. Um, but each and every single person in that locker room has tremendous, needs to have tremendous support and help um, from loved ones, absolutely. Yeah, shout out to all those loved ones. Maybe some of the, the wives and the girlfriends and the partners uh, need to get some Dog of the Week t-shirts. Nah, for sure. Get a bark. Sure. Uh, we have to give for the last time. Gotta get a yeah, dog! Yeah, dog! Gotta get a yeah, dog! Yeah, dog! <laughs> Sorry, I I got too you excited. Got too I excited. Got too well, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. They know what's coming. DVD, DVD. Hold on, hold on. Dollar of the Week this week, you know. We've been talking so much already about, you know, Cody Fajardo, who rightfully so got the uh, MOP for the game. Um, Tyson Philpott, MOC for the game. Amazing job in the clutch, and they needed to do that to win the game. So they were recognized for what they did. And I, I, I'm going to look at, as a defender, the defense. We talked about how impressive they were throughout the whole second half of the season. 
And it's very well documented. We talked about Sean Lemon and when he arrived, whether it was him or some people don't want to believe it. But the fact is, once they signed Sean Lemon, things started to turn. Things started to change out there in Montreal. Darnell Sankey can, it comes in and he brings and elevates that defense to a whole new level. Uh, you talk about Avery Williams, who's a guy who a lot of people don't really talk about, but I know what kind of impact he's had for that team over the last three weeks alone. Marc-Antoine Ducroix, how much can we talk about this guy who continues to have an impact and, and make plays and picks and, and, and scores on defense? Bev Red is a guy we don't mention enough. On that defense, he's like that physical guy that always brings it every single game. I mean, he's he's not the biggest guy, but when he hits, you absolutely feel it. Reggie Stubblefield, he's one dog of the week. You got uh, uh, Mr. Sutton, also played an amazing game. You got Darnell Sankey, Mr. Beverett, and Sutton. All of them had eight. Uh, Sutton had seven tackles in the Grey Cup. I mean, they were active and running around out there, but... The dog of the week, the final one for the Grey Cup, the 2023 110th Grey Cup dog of the week to me is a guy who's already won it. So we already knew he was a dog, but he showed up really big for this team. Kavion Ento. I mean, this man is a guy who continued to improve as the season progressed. And again, I highlighted him at one point when he continued to make plays for that team and was literally erasing half of the field for them. And when it counted, when it needed him the most, we don't talk, we're not talking about it because, you know, it wasn't so flashy. To me, it was, but he was in the end zone. It was a corner run. I got an opportunity to watch the game, at least that part of the game, right beside a Hall of Famer, a legend. He actually called the play. Red, uh, it was G. Roy Simon sitting right next to me. We were watching the game, and, 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 and Winnipeg was in the red zone. And he calls, he said, corner out, you know, corner out's coming. I said, yep, it's coming. And we're watching it, and, and, and your boy, Kavion Ento was there. That was not his route to cover, but he dropped, let his receiver go because he read it. And it shows to me that this is a smart individual that can make plays um, outside of his own plays that, are, that he's supposed to make. So he drops into the corner, jumps in the air, and catches it for an interception in the red zone. That's taken away six points. He had another batted ball in the red zone as well that denied another touchdown. And more than anything, I loved his physicality when he went in there, forced a fumble, just stripped it, and did not care at all. I mean, it shows that he went out there, was composed, was relaxed, was poised. He was able to make the, uh, really slow down the game. Like I said, the plays that he made, you don't make those plays if it's not slowing down in your mind. And so for the, the performance that he put on in the Grey Cup, how clutch he was and how productive he was, turning the ball over, giving the ball to his offense over and over again. Dog of the week, Kavion Anto. If I had to use one word to describe Anto, it would be nosy. He just gets his nose around the football, doesn't say someone else is going to make a play, someone else is going to make a tackle. Gang tackles always around the ball. But then in the secondary, there's a lot of people who will just do enough. Just enough. My guy is covered. I'm good. No, he goes and finds the ball, looks to make a big play, and that's exactly what he did in that game. I'll say this too, DB. You talk about being nosy. I'll say this too. He is selfless. And and I don't know the guy. Now, there's a lot of guys that I know, but I don't know him. I've had conversations with him. I don't know him personally, but I can say that he is selfless by the way that he, 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 he walks around. And you can see it by how he talks and interacts with his teammates. And this is one of the things that also gave it away for me. I remember right after they won in Toronto versus the best team in the league this season, uh, he runs up to the field, and I'm coming on to, you know, uh, tell them that they did a good job and all the best in the Grey Cup, and, uh, you know, uh, let's figure out what's going to happen next week. He comes to me, he runs to me, said, hey, not you know who's dog of the week this week, right? And I'm thinking he's going to talk about himself because, you know, I don't even get a chance to rewatch the game yet and figure out who I'm going to, you know, uh, crown dog of the week for that week. But he says, no, you better look at Reggie. Reggie balled out. 
look at his stats. And I said, okay, I will. And sure enough, he was not wrong. And so the selflessness, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about his teammate. And that goes deep for me when I'm making, uh, when I'm putting together a team, those are the type of people that I want in my locker room. So it sounds like Enoch is recruiting him for <laughs> Toronto Argonauts. You can't do that. I, I, I did 2024 not. 2024 season. No, 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 Listen, no. I'll tell you one thing. It, it, this Great Cup week was a different experience for you in many capacities. Uh, one way it was different is that uh, the entire league came at your neck for not giving them Dog of the Week. They did. It, people are going back to week two, week three. Man, I had like such and such solo tackles and a forced fumble, and I didn't get Dog of the Week. So, um, yeah, so you're on notice next year. I'll say this heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's easy <laughs> to talk about it from out there, but you place somebody in this chair week after week and have to look at multiple dogs in multiple games and have to crown one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry in advance, and I'm sorry in the past for not having crowned you dog, dog of the week. I'm sure some people, you know, deserved it. But unfortunately, or fortunately, it is Enoch's dog of the week. <laughs> well, next year we're going to do broadcaster of the week. I'm just going to shout out a CFL broadcaster that did a great job. I see you, Claire Hanna, Dwayne Ford. The Canada Deposit Insurance Corporation insures deposits at its member financial institutions across the country in the event of a failure. In their over 50-year history, they've handled over 40 failures, and guess what? All insured deposits were protected. On top of that, CDIC protection is free and automatic. You don't need to sign up. Awesome, right? If you're wondering why we're talking about CDIC here, well, November is financial literacy. If you're wondering why we're talking about CDIC here, well, November is Financial Literacy Month, so there's no time like the present to find out if your savings, you know, your CFL fund, are protected. Check your bank's websites to see if they have the purple CDIC logo in their footer. You can also find a full list of their members at CDIC.ca. If you want to learn more about how CDIC protects your savings, visit CDIC.ca. That's CDIC. So, Heavy is the head that wears the crown, and that would be the conversation around the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who, mm. before we end this and just celebrate Montreal, we have to mourn what was uh, a great season, what could be, I'm not going to say was yet, but what could be a great one, run, one that we were talking about, dynasty uh, and legacy, and now we're talking about what's next and how do we get here just a couple of questions let's go on the schematics first because you're looking at a team when we're trying to do a synopsis get to four straight great cups that is outstanding now have a 50 percent batting average in those great cups have lost two straight as favorites they in fact fared better in the great cup when they were underdogs as they were the first time they won it but we talked about that man-to-man coverage against the Alouettes, Bo Levi Mitchell, post-game, in his hit with TSN, said there was a miscalculation in that the need to bring pressure and the need to late in the game go zero, go one, have man-to-man, it played into Montreal's hands. That's what they would have wanted in that Mm -hmm. situation, and that's what Cody Fajardo would have been yearning for in that situation, and that that was a mistake by Richie Hull. You probably didn't hear the comments live because you were at the game, but having some time and perspective, you hear that and you say what? Um, I think that, you know, Bo, Bo wasn't wrong in saying what he said. I, watching the game, watching the replays, watching it live, I even saw. I, I, I feel like, you know, the Winnipeg Bombers are not a team that typically goes, you know, zero, but then felt like they needed to at that point and at that, and at that time. Because they normally don't have to. They don't have to. They normally to. can get pressure And before. now that they did, and I'll, t- I'll say this, I'm not going to point any fingers because I didn't, you know, prep it like that, but multiple times I'm watching, and I could tell when they were going zero, and what I noticed was the fact that they don't practice zero often. And if you want to be a zero team, and I've been a part of North Thorpe's defense, I've been a part of uh, Chris Jones's defense, these are guys that love going exotic blitzes and bringing plus one and sometimes plus two. Um, Um, uh, uh, guys off the edge, up the middle. 
you could tell that there were mistakes that were being made. And if you want to be a team that brings a lot of pressure, you have to practice it since training camp and continuously all the way up until your last game of the season. But there were slight, small mistakes that were being made because football is a game of inches, DB. And a couple of times I saw guys, two guys in the same gap off of a blitz and some guys that were jumping out of their gaps, which forced a defender, a DB actually, to come back into a B gap, which makes it slower for the defender to get to uh, the quarterback, in this case was Fajardo. So those little things were what bought time along with Fajardo's um, smarts and his ability to kind of evade the blitzes. That is what made the difference in the game. When you're a, If you're a zero team, you got to practice it. And everything matters. The angle that you take, the speed at which you get there, the timing at which you go if you're not already at the line and – Winnipeg just seemed like they were not on the same page when they started to open up their zero package. So sometimes we have this conversation as if it's a zero-sum game. You either bring pressure or you play coverage. And there is room in the middle to achieve both things at the same time. I felt late in the game, especially when standback is out of the game. And so the run game is less of a factor, for being honest. See, you could have brought overload pressure, brought more to a side. Now, does that leave you vulnerable in the run game? Yes, but again, they're not looking to run, right? If they're running and they're running time off the clock and their bell cow back is on the sideline trying to figure out what's wrong with his arm, you could have brought overload pressure, had more numbers to a side to get home, but also still had a numbers advantage in coverage to not leave yourself vulnerable. I, I, I felt going zero going one bring the house when you didn't have to it was an over calculation where the risk assessment at that time didn't make it necessary it's not as if you're down and you're trying to force the issue get a strip sack fumble scoop and score something like that you're up so i i appreciate you're trying to go win the game and not prevent and not lose it but I still think there could be some balance and some some caution to your aggressiveness. Yeah, I mean hindsight is always twenty twenty DB, and uh, uh, you know you, you got to again. That's why I say you got to give you know you got to tip the tip of the hat to the offense in Montreal because you know what they've shown on film and what they showed on game day uh, last Sunday, two different teams, right? And so we. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers' defense expected a team that is not going to take any shots, that's not going to look downfield, and that's not going to be extremely accurate. That's you know going to throw the ball in the you know to the flats more often than not. And and then you know what Montreal said? No, we're going. We're we're going to take the shots. We're going to go down the field. We're going to go over the middle, and we're going to do things that we haven't done in the last three four weeks. And uh, uh, in my mind. Winnipeg didn't necessarily expect them to do that. And, uh, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, And um, it, if it went back and, and, you know, bit them in the butt. But when you look at this defense, when you look at this team, period, the sad part is, DB, is that they 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 got here four years in a row. And it's amazing. And it's great. It really is. It, but the way that the expectations for this team have risen over the years, good is simply not good enough. Hindsight is twenty twenty. There's another decision, a pair of decisions that have been and will be scrutinized because the result wasn't mm. what they wanted. That was Adam Big Hill, Dalton Schoen, playing in this game, clearly not 100%, not able to really practice. And in Schoenski's not able to play in the West final. Sean finishes with three catches for 36 yards. Adam Bigel finishes with one tackle, was beaten by Cole Speaker for a TD in the other quarter. Not Biggie-like at all. Should they have been playing in this game? I mean, today, no. <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm going to say no. Uh, it's such a tough call, you know. It, everybody always talks about are you hurt or are you injured? during the course of the season. 
And a lot of times people will say, man, look, if it was Grey Cup, I'd definitely be playing. I'd do everything <laughs> in my power to play. And that's the predicament that those two all-stars um, were placed with. And, and you know, you're asking some warriors, are you going to fight? They're always going to say yes, in my opinion. And so it's hard for me to even fault them because I don't even know what I would have said if I were to be in that situation. But clearly, it hurt that team. It probably They probably could have put another uh, uh, guy on the roster to play more special teams, to allow one guy to focus on one particular job. But that's the difficulty that comes with having a warrior like Big Hill and Sean in, in a situation like they were in to have to make a decision. Because I guarantee you, the coaching staff, and I'm sure front office was also involved in coming to, came up to them at some point or another and said, hey, how do you feel about playing this Sunday? And clearly their answer was yes, and they trusted them enough to the, let them go on the field. The interesting thing about this team and this run, the president, former player, the GM, former player, the coach, a former player, and was a warrior. Mm. And so I believe if, if you asked, I mean, I don't know about the GM or the president. I believe if you asked the coach if he could do the exact same thing again, I think he would do the exact, the same, exact thing same thing again. Because there was a conversation online about whether or not they would get their names on the Great Cup. Because if you don't, are not active, yeah. you're not on the Great Cup. And so you want to balance. This game is for everything. This game is for legacy. This game is for the city. This game is for more money. This game is for everything. So it can't just be about two people. But at the same time, you're not there without those two people. Yes, yes. That's the key thing. And, and if you lose it, I mean, they didn't lose it. But if you lose it and you didn't play those two people. That question will haunt you. And you didn't have the opportunity for those warriors to go into battle and fight one last time. To me, if I'm a coach, I can't sleep in that scenario. Mm. You'd rather sleep in this scenario. I don't know if than it's the other. I think. I think. Listen. I think there's lo there's lots of plays left on the field, and there's lots of things they could have done differently. I think when you lose a championship game, you can't sleep regardless. Regardless. But I, I think Mike O'Shea, if you gave him truth serum, is comfortable with his decision, even though those guys were clearly not their best selves, I don't think he would ever want to be the person to deliver that message to those guys. Absolutely. I, I, didn't, I didn't think they should have played. Um, so Eno is Enoch the coach? Is he, is he playing him? It's, I'd play him. I'd, I'd, again, I'd have that conversation, and I'd, and I'd ask maybe three times before I actually let him go. <laughs> right? I'd ask three times, but the only person that would have stopped Biggie and Dalton shown from playing would have been a coach. Because trust me when I tell you, uh, I know Biggie very well. He was not going to miss out on being on that field. So it's not new that we have injury questions around Winnipeg coming into the Grey Cup. Previously, the big question was Zach Claros and how healthy he was going to be. That wasn't a question for him, but the question was, is he going to cement and fortify his legacy? Or is he going to keep the trend of not playing his best football in the last game of the year? We talked about the fact he's gone to four straight. He has four interceptions and five Great Cup starts. Three of the four Great Cups, he's not throwing a TD pass. Great Cups, somewhat of a small sample size. It's one game. You're playing a great opponent. Let's expand that. Six playoff games since the CFL canceled the season because of COVID. Claros has completed 70.7% .7 of his passes for 1,224 1, yards, four touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Those are not the gaudy numbers mm. that we have come accustomed to him having. But when you think about the first run, I'm not going to say he was a game manager because QBs hate that term, but he was leaning off of a defense, a run game, and they were just like, buy some time with your legs every once in a while. There's going to be three or four or five explosive plays. We need you to make them. And he did that. Now he's had to shoulder more of the load. They're much more of a passing team at times over the last two years. And that hasn't necessarily 
proven positive in the Grey Cup. Does this performance impact his legacy? Ah, man, that's such a good question. And I think that we'll have to wait for the next couple of years to be able to really put this game or the this last performance into judgment. I mean, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. You don't want to go to the Grey Cup back-to-back years and lose it. It doesn't help at all. And, and I mean, it goes to show for everybody that doesn't like to hear the, um, the, the saying that defense win championships, it's not just all about the quarterbacks. Now, this is you talked about it. This has been a very well-balanced team, well-coached team over the years. So they, they win as a team, they lose as a team. Um, but when you look at Zach Caleros, these last two years, um, especially in the Grey Cup, you – it didn't help him at all. I mean, you you want you want your MOP. You want the your quarterback to come and just go off. You really do. And unfortunately, it didn't happen for him in the last two years. So um, now look, coming going back to back to back to back in the Great Cup. I'm never gonna knock that. But I want to see the next couple of years. Then when I before I make my final statement and judgment on his legacy. Seeing who's on stage at the end of the Great Cup, seeing how Zach Caleros' career has gone, I've learned that you never write people off in the never. CFL. And so I would not be surprised if Zach Caleros is not only back in this game in the future, but back in it playing well. Quite frankly, I'd be surprised if that's not the case. I think the real raw emotion we saw from him at the end of the game was less so that he didn't play his best football, more so that he knows his team is not going to be the same. It's not. And that there's going to be players that move on and don't play and that are going to move on and play elsewhere. You've got this run of success, similar to almost like the Golden State Warriors, where the questions are, well, how often do we run it back? How often do we, we try to... Do something new because you can't really have two timelines at once. What do you think they do with the core of this team moving forward? Man, it's an interesting question, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen out there in Winnipeg because uh, it, isn't it funny? We always talk about this, and we've multiple times over the last couple of years highlighted and talked about the importance of whenever we put our GM hats on, we talk about continuity, continuity, how important it is, DB. And now we're looking at a team that's had – you know, the uh, the most amount of continuity over the last four or five years. And obviously, they've been in the great cup for the last four years. But now we're questioning that. And we're talking about, hey, are they going to remain uh, intact at all? Uh, but to answer your question, you still got to keep a core. You got to keep a core. There's going to be a lot of decisions that need to be made. But if there's one thing that's for sure, is the fact that there's going to be changes that's going to happen in that locker room. And one, you talk about continuity and how important it is, yes, but at one point or another, that same continuity is going to age. The one thing that we can never stop or slow down is time. And uh, those guys, the truth of the matter is that they're getting older, and the front office, um, if it stays intact as well, are going to have to make some decisions that are going to be crucial for the future of this team um, because they're going to have to choose. Um, who stays, who goes, who do we let go, who do we bring in. And so um, they're going to be in an, in an interesting predicament, and it's interesting to see. You talk about Zach Galera's probably coming, bringing this team back to the Grey Cup again. I feel like it's only going to get harder and harder for him, and he's going to have to put more and more on his shoulders um, if they're going to be back in this game anytime soon. Well, the BC Lions are coming, Ooh. and they're getting close and close, and they're still – Young, and when you look at whether it's Calgary, Saskatchewan, who just hate watched this game. Like, just there was no good outcome. They were just looking at their exes flexing and couldn't wait to turn the page on a new season. Or Edmonton, who, you know, had some real low lows this past season, despite some continuity uh, in the coaching staff and some high, uh, you know, priced free agents, and didn't really get the results till later. What Montreal taught us is that. You know, you can go zero to 100 real quick in this league. Ownership happened late, hamstrung in free agency because of it. New ownership, there's going to be a transition. New head coach, in, in some cases, uh, you know, new coordinators, 
new QB, and they were able to add pieces along the way and get it done. And so finally, we will end with the last word on the Alouettes. For you, how will this team be remembered? But more importantly, what should we remember about them? If there's other teams, other organizations, other people just in life who could take away one thing, learn one thing from this, here's Alouettes, apply it to themselves. And as we look back at the CFL champions year over year, and we say 2023 Montreal, but what do you think we should remember? Man, I, I, I'd say three things. Stay the course. Trust the process. And you have to have some dogs in the locker room. I was about to say, you went like two out of three Belichick on a second. I was like, wait, where are we going? Like, you, just do your job is the third one? Like, But you have to have some dogs. Okay, I like some it. Dogs. Some dogs and some true leaders. Um, talk about the the turn of events and, and how this team started to change once Lemon arrived, dog and a leader. You talk about Darnell Sankey coming in, being the voice of that defense, bringing some character and, and, and some swag to that team, dog and a leader. You need that in your locker room if you ever want to be um, at the top. And it's never over. It's really never over. Never give up on your season. And that's one of the things that I feel like this team is going to be remembered for. Um, listen, these guys were counted out by a lot of people. And I will sit here and say I did too. But they came out. They proved the whole league wrong for the, the second half of the season and throughout the playoffs going undefeated like Mr. D-A-N-D said himself. We're not losing another game. This is a guy who truly believes, and uh, when he speaks, his team listens. He talked to him, and he said, look, delays are not denials, and we are going to win this great cup. When he spoke those words, everybody listened, but it also ignited everyone to uh, step their game up and play even better than um, what they've shown up until that point. Yeah, well, shout-out to Danny Matrocha. Uh, because a lot of times evaluators, they just look at the team they put together and they almost don't want to admit that they're wrong and they just leave it that way and then they just continue to get their head beat in. He said, we need something. We need some dogs. And he got one in Sankey and before that he got one in Lemon. And uh, we, we joked about this, but I'll say for real now that he's got another great cup championship, Sean Lemon is a Hall of Famer. Future. What's up? He, he got to be. It's a matter of time now. The, the numbers, the wins, the influence on culture, he's a Hall of Famer. And lastly for me, I can't say it in French, but I'll say it in English. You can't tell them nothing. They are CFL champions. So Montreal, Quebec, Alouette fans around the world, enjoy it because it's yours.